Jasmine and Beauty Podcast starts right now. From Ithaca, New York, it's the Asman and Budic Show. Jake Asman alongside Dan Budic, Jake Chernock, right in front of us, handling all the controls. So much to get to on another exciting show. We have NBA All-Star Game action going on. What a weekend, too. It's, it's nothing like it. It means football's not on. It means PBA bowling is on ESPN. And uh, all is well in the world. But as always, an action-packed show. We are on until midnight. Two hours of sports talk coming your way. We have so much to get to, including Randy Levine's terrific, well-thought-out comments about Dylan Batances. We'll touch on the Mets, too. David Wright and his uh, status as far as being able to get into spring training games and whether or not he'll be ready for opening day. The Knicks and Carmelo Anthony, the trade deadline coming up next week. That's something to look out for. NBA trade deadline February 23rd at 3 p.m. Will Carmelo Anthony be a Nick? We'll talk about that a little bit later. And, of course... With no football going on, it's time to start looking ahead to the NFL offseason. We did a little bit of this last week, but Tony Romo, kind of that big domino that has to fall for a lot of other things to happen. We'll get to that later on in the show. But, Dan, before we get going, another great weekend. How you doing? Another great weekend, and we talked about the NBA All-Star weekend. It, it, last night, you got the slam dunk contest, the three-point contest, and what an underwhelming uh, slam dunk contest in particular. I mean... No, I didn't see any highlight dunks. A lot of misses. It took like seven or eight tries for Aaron Gordon to get a dunk going. Very disappointed in the slam dunk contest. I thought it would be good. He got DeAndre in there. Aaron Gordon last year showed he was the real deal dunking, taking home the title. And it was just, it was an ugly show. He was brutal. DeAndre Jordan was bad. And you mentioned it. And, you know, you it was had, just boring. You had it was a- boring. You had Aaron Gordon in it. And we thought, oh, maybe he'll, he could do what he did last year. But without Zach Levine being there to get those two going up against each other, not exciting to watch. It was bad. And when all these dunks are being missed in a row, it, it deflates the whole atmosphere of the building. Well, it takes away from the dunk, too. Even when they get it, like the drone dunk that Aaron Gordon tried to pull off with, with the opening, uh, his, his opening dunk. It would have been an interesting dunk. Cool, cool dunk if he got it on the first try. But I, what was it like eight or nine tries I feel like until he finally got it he actually didn't have any tries left and they're like oh just let him go let him do it just, just let him go you, who cares about the rules you miss a certain amount of dunks and you get a score they just give you a score someone got like a 43 I forget who it was they didn't hit a dunk they ran out of time they I forgot three who it attempts. was yeah. three untimed attempts is the rule they didn't get it and they, and they gave Aaron Gordon 12 attempts to, to do that to do his first dunk. Yeah, the old drone dunk. I want to know how much Intel had to pay to get their name on that drone. I'm sure a lot. They're the real winners of the dunk contest because it was brutal to watch. And you know it's bad if the guy who wins and Glenn Robinson I never even heard of going into the dunk contest. I mean, there were three dunkers in the contest you never even well, heard of. Well, that's the problem with the, with the dunk contest is the fact that we don't have, you know, back in the day we had Jordan doing it. We had so many big guys, big name guys doing the uh, taking part in the dunk contest. Now, I mean, it feels like we've been saying this for at least the last 10 or 11 years. Who's in the dunk contest? I mean, we don't know half the guys in the dunk contest. Where's LeBron? You know, we saw DeAndre. He's a star in the league, but he didn't even have a good performance. Where are the big stars? LeBron said he was going to do the dunk contest. Nah, he's not going to do in it. In 2008 or nine, I forget ten, when ten he years, said it. Eight years ago. And right? he, he's never done it. He's never going to do it. He lied to us. LeBron lied. All right? He lied to the American people. <laughs> Except it. He lied. A lot of people lie. LeBron lied. And because he never did the dunk contest, a lot of these other stars felt not they, well, why do I got to do exactly. it? Exactly. Jordan it, did it. Kobe did it. LeBron said he would do but it. But how he never great. did. And the dunk contest has not been good in at least 10 years now. It really has Outside hasn't. of last year. It was good last year because of the two dunkers, Gordon and, and, and Levine, who was terrific and won it the year prior. 
It has not been good, though, in a number of years. And you know what my thing is with the dunk cons? Is it, it was like, oh, well, this guy's a great dunker. I don't care if he's a great dunker. I mean, people aren't getting up uh, to watch, you know, Glenn Robinson uh, or whatever his name is play, play, shoot, uh, compete in the, in the dunk contest. People want to see the big names. And the NBA just doesn't have the big names competing in the, in the dunk contest. I mean, DeAndre being in it, I think, was nice because of the fact that he hasn't been in it before, and he said he wanted to wait till he was an All Star to, to to take part in in the dunk contest. But he didn't even have a good showing. And how about Derrick Jones Jr.? Never heard of him. Glenn Robinson the third. Never heard of him. I mean, we're talking about guys that don't don't even crack the rotation. On their NBA Well, that's teams. what I think they're... That, Remember James Flight White on the Knicks? The Knicks got this guy from the D-League. They called him up just so we could do... He was on a 10-day so contract. contract. You're right. He was on a 10-day contract, and this guy was in the dunk contest. I mean, the dunk contest has become a mockery. The coolest part about All-Star Weekend these days has been the, the NBA three-point contest. And even though uh, we saw you know, a good contest, I guess, because it went to overtime in a three-point shootout contest, the scoring numbers for the threes were down. Kyrie didn't shoot that well for his standards. Klay Thompson, the reigning champion and the unanimous favorite coming in, he didn't even make it past the first round. So it was not a good three-point contest either. The only bright spot was the fact that a seven-foot-three unicorn named Kristaps Porzingis won the NBA skills competition that's built for guards. That was fun as a Knicks fan. But and that was impressive, that, too. It was, other than that, I mean, All-Star Saturday night, not exactly a spectacular showcase for the NBA. No, and you, just going back to the dunk contest, it wasn't even like the names. You know, a lot of times, like last year, you talk about we had some good dunkers in it. I mean, this year... Where were the good dunkers? I mean, Aaron Gordon stunk. I mean, there weren't even good dunks. Also, it wasn't entertaining to watch. And isn't that supposed to be the goal of All-Star Weekend? It's supposed to be entertaining. The dunk contest last night wasn't entertaining at all. Also, Aaron Gordon, they kept talking about this in the TNT broadcast of the dunk contest. He has a foot injury. Why is he competing in the dunk contest if he has a foot injury? You're right. First off, if I'm the Orlando Magic owner, GM, or coach, I'm furious that my guy's competing in a meaningless dunk contest and he's hurt. That affects your team going forward. If he re-injures it or makes it worse in the dunk contest, could you imagine the, the, the outcry? Second thing, if he's hurt, don't compete. It's just bad product that we're watching. It's it's bad it's bad for And that's what it was for the fans. Yeah, and it was a bad it was a bad performance. I mean he was it was a really bad dunk performance from Aaron Gordon. And I think DeAndre was okay. I mean there was nothing spectacular last night in the dunk contest that was like wow. And I think one thing they need, and we've been saying it forever and we talked about it before, you gotta have the big names. You gotta get the big names competing in the dunk contest. Otherwise this the the the, the dunk contest is just gonna it's just going to float away into, into disintegration. It, no one's going to watch it. No, Everyone's getting tired of watching it. And the three-point contest, you talk about the numbers being down. A lot of misses. A lot of misses. It was brutal. I don't think I've ever seen Clay Thompson miss And there weren't shots. that many good shooters in, in, for NBA standards that were in it. You had Clay, you had Kyrie, but Steph Curry, who won it two years ago, didn't play. He's, didn't too, he's too cool for it now. Yeah, he's too big. But then they, they gave him a chance to hit eight half-court shots, and he missed all eight. Eight half-court shots he missed. That's a tough shot. He's Steph Curry. Yeah, you're right. You are right. He is Steph Curry. Should have hit. He should have hit one. I mean, if you missed eight half-court shots, I'd be like, all right. But he's Steph Curry. You're right. He should have hit one. But also, he was in street clothes. I'd like. I, I feel like maybe. I'd like to think maybe if he was in a jersey and shorts, he would have hit those shots. So. I'd like to think, like I said before, I'd like to think that if Steph Curry was in some some shooting clothes, maybe he was wearing some shorts, uh, a shooter shirt, 
Maybe he would have had some more success. He said he was in, what, jeans? It looked like he was in uh, boat shoes. It's tough to hit a half-court shot in boat shoes. It just The only good part, I could say, I guess, about the Saturday night was the, the money they raised for the Sager Foundation, which is, of course, great. But it didn't go how they planned because Steph Curry couldn't hit the shot, and they kept giving him ample opportunities. They wanted him to hit they it. Never, they, th- they thought that he'd be able to hit it within three shots. Well, he's the greatest three. of all time. We love him. He, he, they, of course they thought. They were shocked. They kept telling Ernie. They were like, give him another one, Ernie. <laughs> Ernie, give him another one. <laughs> one more, Ernie. And then one more. And, and then he, he never to, hit it. He had to get Shaq that had to bring the little kid up to, to lay the basketball in. To get the the money, they were going to get five hundred thousand dollars the whole time. Regardless, yeah. What, what but it would have been it, it, looking back on it, if he had hit one of those half court shots, it would have been awesome. He just didn't, you know, didn't didn't, didn't happen. So it wasn't that good uh, in the the entire entire night as a whole. But and also, this, he did win the skills competition. <laughs> Excuse me. Also, there's no one there. Like you know, they t- there's no one there. I feel like the only people that go to these this All Star Saturday night are, are celebrities. There, there's no fans. Well, Spike Lee's got to be there. Well, Spike and, and God forbid my God, not. the amount of airtime he gets on TNT is brutal. We talked brutal. about this, I think last week or the the week prior. I'm so tired of seeing Spike Lee on TV. We get it. He's a Knicks fan. We're all Knicks fans. I mean, in the pr- and you know what the thing is, I think the Knicks and what MSG- was the last movie Spike Lee made? I don't even know. I, I don't even know. I, I I don't like Spike Lee at all. But. One thing I think the Knicks do a really good job of on MSG is we don't see too much Spike. We see we see Spike, he's there, but he's not a focal point of the Knicks MSG broadcast, which I think is great. We don't need him. We don't need him. But when the Knicks are on ESPN, TNT, ABC, he's it's where Spike, what's he wearing, uh, who's he, who's he, who's he, you know, joking around with on the sidelines. Who's he canoodling with? You know, because he's become the Knicks. He's like the Knicks mascot now. I mean, I feel like over time, he's become like a, a mascot for the Knicks. We, he's the Knicks unofficial mascot. We don't need it. We don't need to see it. It's enough. And he's a false representation of Knicks fans everywhere. He is. I, I just, I'm so tired of it. <laughs> we had to see him last night. I didn't watch any of the All-Star he games. Wasn't even, really, I wasn't even sure wearing any Knicks gear last night. He he, was, I'm sure he's there tonight. He's wearing yeah, a weird oh, hat. Yeah. Was he wearing a Knicks jersey last night? Was he? I, I don't remember. I wear he's wearing a weird hat. He wasn't wearing a Knicks hat. He's Spike Lee. He can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants, yeah. He, he also, remember, he's got nothing else to do, so he'll travel to, to New Orleans on a Saturday night to, uh, to watch the skills competition All-Star weekend. I'm actually curious because I have not seen a Spike Lee movie in a long time. I'm going to go to his IMDb page. I really don't know. I can't. I really couldn't tell you a, a recent Spike Lee movie. Okay. I feel like is he more in the documentary uh, realm now? Yeah, I would say so. He's directed for 65 credits. She's got to have it. A TV series. He's directed a couple episodes of that. Oh wow! Uh, there you go. He hasn't really done much. Yeah, he directed the opening to the NBA 2K16 video game. Wow. Okay. Big time. So he's in. The, so he's directing video game opens now. But Spike Lee, he really is. He really is like a a, a Knicks super fan mascot. And whenever the Knicks are on prime time, they they got to give him all the camera time they can. I mean, who'd they play last week? Where he was, you know, just on TV, you know, in the Oakley jersey. Where's the Oakley jersey just to get more camera time last week? His Charles Oakley jersey. Meanwhile, I'm sure he didn't even have a Charles Oakley jersey. He had to go out and buy one. He did. He, he did. Said, he said he did. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know he yeah, said that. He said he not, why am I not surprised? He did. What he a had, fraud! He's he a fraud. He had to go out and buy a, a, a Charles Oakley jersey. He's a fraud. I think actually what he said. There was actually a story. He took that jersey that was that said Oakley on it. It was not an Oakley. Jersey. Was it? A, was it a Curry? It was, it was a different Nick jersey that he that he had someone <laughs> was it a, stitch it over for him. Was it an Eddie Oakley. Curry jersey? Could have been an Eddie Curry. Wasn't? Uh, no, David Lee wasn't thirty four with the Knicks. Who? What are the famous Nick thirty fours? Besides Charles Oakley, obviously. I mean, right now, like, Eddie Curry. 
Was he, was he 34? Uh, I don't know. I feel like he was. I he was 35. No, maybe he was 34. I feel, like, I feel like it was an Eddie Curry jersey he had on. Yeah, Eddie Curry was 34. I feel like it was definitely an Eddie Curry jersey. I wouldn't put that past Spike Lee. No, Eddie Curry, a former Nick legend. So what, did he change the name? He changed the yeah, name. Yeah, he restitched it in the he, back. He restitched it. That's a John Sokolov special. John <laughs> Sokolov does that. He does. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a very happy Sixers fan. This could be, and I saw this on Twitter, speaking of the All-Star game, this could be the last All-Star game for at least the, maybe the next 10 years, possibly, without a Sixer being in the game. You figure next year, Embiid, if you're healthy, will make it. Ben Simmons, who knows? Maybe he could be an all-star. Right. But they have some young guys that are coming up now, and maybe for the first time. And I don't know. Who was the last all-star for well, the Well, Jaleel will be on a different team probably next maybe year. Maybe it was Iguodala, the last time the 76ers had an all-star. That makes sense. Jason, you're a Sixer fan. Is that probably the last time they've had a, uh, an all-star in the game? Who was that? Uh, Andre Iguodala when he played for the Sixers? I would say so, yeah. It's probably the last that's, time. That's had a long time ago already. We made a big deal about it, so. That's a long time ago already, yeah. So, you know, it's been, it's been a while. I mean, this, uh, the Sixers are going in the right direction, clearly. They get, some good, they get some good young talent. I can't wait to see Simmons play. And he may not play at all this year. Really? I, what, is they he, might what, shut him down. Is that, is that like... His status, his status, his is, status is unknown. I remember, I remember they originally said like mid to late February at the latest early March for Simmons when he first got hurt. So uh, I was I was expecting uh, I was expecting the comeback soon, but now they might shut him down. That's disappointing. Six zero seven two seven four one eight four two. It's the Asman and Budic Show on vicradio.org. If you're listening in on TuneIn Radio or of course vicradio.org, the Listen Live button is your friend. The show will also be podcasted over at ictv.org and iTunes. Once again, the number is six zero seven two seven four one eight four two. If you want to get involved and talk All Star Weekend. We're keeping our eyes on that fantastic matchup. The over-under was 352, so we're keeping our eyes on the All-Star Game matchup. And when we come back, we'll talk a lot more about the NBA storylines. We'll also get into the Carmelo-Anthony trade debate. Is Melo and Nick after the trade deadline coming up on February 23rd? That's this Wednesday. We'll break it all down for you right after this, right here on the Asmund Abutic Show. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gusbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit gusbuster.com and get your Gusbuster today. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ictv.org and iTunes. Knicks and Carmelo Anthony, February 23rd, 3 p.m. is the trade deadline. So much chatter about Carmelo and whether or not he will be a Nick after this trade deadline. He's in full control over this. He has the full no-trade clause. He has to be willing to waive that clause in his contract to be dealt to any team. He could force his hand to wherever he wants to go but it's up to him to agree whether or not he'll waive that no-trade clause. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. Will Melo be willing to waive that no-trade? And my gut tells me no. I think he wants to stay in New York. I don't think... And that's just the perfect opportunity for him. I can't see him waiving that trade clause. And I can't see a perfect scenario for him where the Knicks are trying to trade him and they're trying to get assets back. Why would he agree to a trade where the team that's acquiring him has to give up a lot of assets exactly. to get him, it and then all work. of a sudden it's not as strong as a team that he's going to to try and win a championship. And at this point, he's only going to go to a team to win a championship. Now, we're just days away from the deadline. 
Uh, February 23rd, 3 p.m. is the official NBA trade deadline. This Wednesday. This Sorry, Wednesday. this Thursday. This Thursday. I said Wednesday before. It's Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Four, uh, four days from now. Uh, my thing is this. Do you think there is a situation where Phil gets a trade through, it's reported, and then Melo turns it down? Do you think we will get to a point, do you think that will happen where Melo will exercise, have to exercise his no-trade clause? Because I think... Now, that would be the ultimate you-know-what to Phil Jackson. If Phil Jackson pulls off a trade, and whether whatever the situation is, I don't think it really matters. But whatever it is, Melo's not happy with it and has to exercise his no-trade clause. Do you think that is a possibility between now and Thursday? I, th- I think the only chance, the only team, I should say, that Melo would agree to trade, waive the clause, would be Cleveland. Just because of LeBron, he's friends but it's, with LeBron. It, see, it's tough for Cleveland to get a deal but done. Th- there's no scenario where Cleveland could pull off really a deal without not. a third team. And we've heard nothing right now that a third team's involved. The closest Melo came to having a trade in place was with the Clippers. Because there were some rumors that they found a third team. And never materialized. So, Carmelo Anthony right now, he's still going to be a Nick. And I, I really think that we've heard this before with Melo and his name being in rumors. I think he has that no trade clause for a reason. He chose to be a Nick. He resigned. And Phil gave Knicks. it to him. Phil was the one who gave it to the him. Great so Phil. It's it's his fault. Why Melo has the control here, has the upper hand. I don't think that it's going to happen. I do see your point. Say there is a trade. Would Melo waive the no trade? I don't think he would. I think he. I think he genuinely wants to well, stay I, I, Nick. I agree with you. And I. I think what I was trying to say was I think if if Phil can get a deal done, I think Melo would just. Would would exercise that no trade clause unless it's the Cleveland. Well, well, not I'm not saying wait. I'm saying exercise it as far as blocking a trade. Yeah, I don't think. He's I think he. I think what, no matter what deal is put because I don't see Cleveland being a realistic option. I, I don't think Cleveland's going to be able to get a deal. Especially with Kevin Love now hurt. It just doesn't make sense. It, it, Love would have been the piece that would have had to come to the Knicks, and now him being hurt, that doesn't it just make, wouldn't have made that sense. That doesn't make Cleveland better. No, it doesn't. But that was the only way that trade would have worked was if Love was involved somehow. It's not going to happen at this point. So if there is a deal. That gets done. I think Melo's going to exercise that no trade clause regardless and block a deal. I don't see him waiving that deal no matter what. And I think it would be a real, real, uh, real punch in the gut to Phil Jackson after everything that's happened. If he gets a deal done somehow, a three-team trade between two other teams uh, and the Knicks, and then he blocks the trade. I think that would be... The real story with the Knicks, besides Melo, they got to trade Derrick Rose this week. There is no point in keeping this guy. This Knicks team is a borderline 7th or 8th seed, if they're even that. And this guy is not going to be re-signed. He's looking for max money. There's no chance the Knicks are going to give him that kind of contract. And this guy, you gave up a lot to get him. You could have cleared his cap number, yes. But cap number with the Knicks right now, what great free agents coming here? They're not a piece away. You're not going to be able to attract you know, a top 10 free agent to come over and play at Madison Square Garden. It's not going to happen. So Derrick Rose has some value. Brandon Jennings as a reserve point guard with a cheap one-year expiring contract that he has. He's a guy that you could trade and get something back. And they should also look to trade Courtney Lee, and there's talks that the Knicks are talking to the Minnesota Timberwolves about moving Courtney Lee. If you're the Knicks and Melo's not going to waive his no trade, make it very clear that you're blowing this up. Because at this point, the Knicks are foolish if they go past this trade deadline on Thursday and they do nothing. Because they're not good enough to win a championship. We knew that coming in. And they're not good enough to be a top-five seed in the East. So what's the point of being an eighth seed and getting swept well, by Cleveland well, there four isn't. or five games? There isn't. And You're this lucky is, if you won a game. And this is what we said at the beginning of the season, too. Being an eighth seed in the NBA playoffs means nothing. We were hoping this Knicks team would be maybe a four or five seed. Obviously, that's not being the case. If they could move D. Rose and the, and the deal's right, I, yeah, they should move Derrick Rose because he's not going to be back here next year. Move he's a free guys. agent at the end of the season. Now the question is, if you do move him, is Phil going to be 
able to make a good deal. Phil hasn't proven that he can make a good trade and get the, and get the Knicks back valuable assets, whether it be players or draft picks. And we've seen this multiple times now with Phil Jackson. And this goes into another point uh, that we've spoken about before here on the show. We don't have any faith in Phil Jackson making any sort of personnel decisions. He's the president of the team, and we have no faith in him to make any trades. I mean, is he going to be able to get the max value the Knicks can get back for Derrick Rose? Because let's be honest, he goes in, into a phone call with you know uh, GMs around the NBA. They know the Knicks are desperate to get rid of Brandon Jennings. They know the Knicks are going to be desperate to get rid of uh, Derrick Rose. You just hope that the Knicks aren't stubborn and think, oh, well, you know what? We're right there for an eighth seed. Like, th- There's no value in being no. an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. There's just not. No. There's no value in being a seven seed. But does Phil think that being this is also, I think, a very interesting point. Does Phil value in his mind? Does he think being an eighth seed masks the disaster that was this season? Well, you know what? If you, if you placate to the fans and you placate trying to look good, I mean, I you don't know what you're doing from a GM standpoint. James Dolan goes on with uh, on the Michael K show and says, "Ask Phil." You know, I'm not getting involved. It's all Phil, and Phil has the right to li- to serve out his contract. And no matter what happens, this season is not going to be a success unless the Knicks magically no, but I'm you know, saying, win 10 games in, in, in a row and, and no, you're become right. a fifth seed again. No, you're right. But is Phil, it, when Phil goes into the deadline, is he thinking, well, maybe I could, if we're an eighth seed, I won't look like uh, such a terrible president. I, you know, at least we made the playoffs. Is I don't Phil think, think he that, thinks that does way. Does he think that way? I don't. I don't think so either. But it's a question I saw popping up on Twitter the last couple of days, and I think it's a very interesting point because I think that would really affect the way Phil's going into the trade deadline. The reason why I don't think he thinks that way is this guy drafted Chris Stapps Porzingis. You know, he knew he was going to get scrutinized for that pick, and he didn't care. You know, the one great great thing that he did was take Porzingis, and everyone ripped it on draft night. And the one thing I'll say about Phil Jackson is he does not get enough credit for that pick with Porzingis. That was a gutsy move, and it worked. He needs to make a lot better moves going forward because his moves since then have not well, been good. It, it, no, you're right. But that it was shows your... you that he has the wherewithal to do his own thing. It hasn't worked out since then doing his own thing, if you will. But that was a move that shows you, no, he's not going to listen to the fans and the media. He's going to do his own thing, right or wrong. Yeah, but I I think also at the same time, I know he was looking to trade that pick as well. I know he didn't make the final call on uh, on making the Przingis selection, but you know, again, I, I just I have no confidence in Phil Jackson going into this trade deadline. I, I agree. I think this is a very important trade deadline for the Knicks. They have some valuable assets they can move, even if it's not Carmelo Anthony. But the question is, again, I I, I think as a Knicks fan, if you're looking at it based on Phil's history as a, as a president and as a basketball. Uh, 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 you know, as a as a guy who's put together a basketball team, as far from a personnel standpoint, I have no faith in him making moves and being able to get the most back for a guy like Derrick Rose. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago he traded uh, he traded uh, J.R. Smith and traded Iman Shumper, and the Knicks got nothing in return. So I don't have faith, you know, just based on the trading history of Phil Jackson, I can't go into this deadline and say I have supreme confidence that he's going to be able to get what it what they should get back for some of these assets because Derrick Rose is really valuable. I think there is a team or there is teams in this league that would love to jump on uh, Derrick Rose, a reasonable contract, free agent at the end of the season. Well, the one thing that they could do if they want to try and get Carmelo to waive his no trade is go to Carmelo and say, listen, you have complete control, obviously, with the no trade clause. But to give you a heads up, we're going to try and trade Derrick Rose. We're going to try and trade Courtney Lee. We're going to try and trade Brandon Jennings. And we're essentially going to be giving I mean, up on the season. Do you think that changes his, opinion, his, the, his mindset? Well, the only thing I can think of is if Melo wants to win, and he's still in the prime of his career, he's fading fast, he's no longer the same player he was even two years ago, 
but he's still a great scorer. You know, his last 10 games, he's averaging 26 points per game and 6 rebounds. He still does things well that could help a team win. If he wants to win, he might have to waive that no-trade clause, and maybe he does if Phil says, listen, you have complete control here. You don't have to waive it, but to let you know, we're no longer thinking about this year. We're looking to the future, and we're selling off our assets. The Knicks say that to him. I don't know if it changes his mind because I think in the back of his head he wants to just stay with the Knicks. He doesn't want to move his family. And maybe he believes that he could outlast Phil Jackson being here if Phil opts out at the end of this year. That's the only scenario I could think but where he'd even, be willing to waive that no trade. where is – say he is – say that does happen and he's like, all right, I'm willing to waive the no trade clause. Where is a destination that he could realistically go that works for the Knicks? It's got to be Cleveland with a third team. It's got to be but the But what Clippers. if it's not Cleveland? And don't – look out for the Celtics. They got picks and they got young players. If they want, if they believe they're a star player away, Carmelo could be that star for them. Him and Isaiah Thomas going up there. I don't you know. Think if they'd it's, give up one of the Nets picks. I don't. To, think, I, they'd have to give up a pick. I don't think it'd be the Nets pick. But they have younger players. They have a few too. Nets picks left. They do. Now, that's the worst trade ever. When you get the it Billy was, King in the moment. It really was. But uh, it's what it's one of those scenarios where the Celtics have what the Knicks need: young players and draft picks. And if you're going to trade Carmelo Anthony, Phil Jackson, that's the best thing you could possibly do. You know, you don't want to trade. Carmelo and get Kevin Love back, you're in the same spot. You're just basically swapping superstars. Well, that's why it really didn't make much sense from a Knicks standpoint either because you're not, it's about getting better for the future. And Cleveland had no first round picks they could give you. And that's what that's what the value has to be. It has to be draft picks because that's how the Knicks are going to get better here. Hey, it's going to be through the draft. You're not getting great free agents just to come here. You know, until Porzingis is at the top 10 NBA talent level, he's not going to be able to attract free agents by himself. He's not there yet. He's 21 years old. He's going to be a great player. We know that. But he's not there yet. So the idea that the Knicks are just, oh, well, you get rid of Rose, clear his cap number, all of a sudden you bring in Chris Paul here next offseason. That's not happening. We've seen this with the Knicks. You can't just think you're going to bring in a free agent here. Kevin Durant left OKC to go to the Warriors. You know, that type of superstar left his team that could have won a championship to go to a team that just won 73 games. That's where these superstars want to go. They want to go to the one or two teams that give you a chance to win a title. Look at uh, Kevin Love when he got when LeBron forced the trade to get him to go to Cleveland. Kevin Love wasn't going to go to the Celtics, even though that was rumored. He's going to go to a team that gives him a chance to win a title, and he forced his trade there with the help of the Bucs. No, absolutely, and and that's just the power that these superstars have in the league, these superstars have in the NBA. If Boston does make a move for Melo, I think that would be a great move for them because that is that kind of superstar there that maybe pushes them to the next level again. Maybe not an NBA Finals level, but a team that can seriously compete for a a conference final, and and who knows when you get to that point. I, I think the way... Phil Jackson handles this Mello situation is going to define his tenure as Knicks president. Well, I'll tell you what, if Mello survives past the trade deadline and the Knicks don't make any moves and they're still going all in on trying to be, you know, a seventh or an eighth seed, this Mello thing will not be resolved because then it just carries over to the offseason. Well, do you think at some point, let me ask you, if it does go into the offseason, because in the offseason, teams' cap situations is much different than it is midway through the season. There's a lot more flexibility because of the fact that no, teams aren't um, necessarily locked in on certain contracts. They have contracts coming off the books. So uh, payroll is a much different is in a much different situation in the offseason than it is right now. Better chance Mello gets moved in the offseason? If Phil then maybe, say, uh, for for, for just for the sake of this conversation, Phil opts in. Is there a chance Melo gets moved in the offseason? I think a trade is easier to be done in the offseason when teams have salary cap, right. have a lot more cap. Maybe they could a team could plan and say, you know what? Our free agent pickup could be trading for a superstar Carmelo Anthony rather than trying to get some free agent to come here. You know, you see big-time trades. They don't, it doesn't happen often in the NBA, but we've seen it. 
You know, Dwight Howard has been dealt in the offseason before a couple years ago when he was still a superstar. And he's been dealt during the regular during the regular maybe season. Maybe that's too. a better time for the Knicks to maybe that's a better time for Phil to to evaluate a trade for Melo and wait till the offseason. It's tough. Trades trades are tough in the NBA during the season because cap implications Especially when you're dealing with a guy with a max contract. And a, guy and a that, no trade clause. And a no trade. That's what and that's a fifteen percent trade kicker. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Six oh seven two seven four one eight four two. Howie and Ithaca. Howie, what's going on? Well, you just summed up why Melo's not going to get traded. The 15% trade kicker is number one. And you keep saying Boston. As Boston doesn't want Carmelo, Carmelo's not going to put Boston over the top. I don't see. I don't think Carmelo any player would put Boston anything. over the top. I don't disagree with that either. But I don't, Carmelo has not proven in the past that he's a winner and he can be the missing link on the team. He needs the ball in his hands. He likes to get a lot of shots. He hasn't shown that he's willing to share the ball and share the stardom. I don't well, think these teams want him. Well, I, I disagree that, that, that teams might not want him. I agree with you that he wants the ball. I mean, he's a scorer. He's a scorer, but I definitely think he he's an advantage for teams to have on their roster, especially if you're looking to 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 get to that next level. I don't think he puts the Celtics over the top, but I think if the Celtics would make or did make a trade with the Knicks for Carmelo, I think it would uh, give them that 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 kind of superstar player that maybe they don't have right now. Is it going to make them Washington? better than Cleveland? But no. But I think it's definitely a move. I think they they'd consider entertaining because they have so many assets. And the Boston Globe reported the that they're interested. So What'd you possible. say? What about the Wizards? No one's mentioning the Wizards. That's a team that could use another scorer to go with John Wall. Well, that would be a good move for the Wizards. You know, my only question is, I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Maybe you know it. What's the Wizards' cap situation? And do the Wizards do the Wizards have the draft picks that I think it would take for them to get Carmelo Anthony? That's the real question in all this. And also, do the Wizards view themselves as a, as a team that adding Melo, it, it makes them what? The second, third best team in the Eastern Conference? Are they better than the Celtics now? And that's the, better that's, than Toronto? That's They're not better than Cleveland. And Howie, that, you, you, when, you, when you made the call, you made a good point. That's ultimately the big thing. No move is making, and we thank you for the call, no move is making uh, a team better than Cleveland in the East. No move for Melo is making uh, Boston better in the East. No, you know um, The move for Melo is not making uh, the Wizards the best team in the East. Well, that's the problem with the NBA. And, the, and you're right. And it's unfortunate for Melo because he's a really good player. So he, unless he goes to Cleveland, he's not going to a team that's going to win a championship. Or the Warriors, but obviously that's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, Mel- Melo's going to go to the Warriors, and their starting five is going to be <laughs> Steph, Clay, Draymond, Carmelo, Anthony, Durant. Imagine, <laughs> and the Bron- the Bron will still probably find. But a no, way but in all seriousness, though, it really is. I mean, Melo does. Melo gets compared to LeBron just because they came out of the same draft class. They're not, they're not similar players. A, it, that comparison has been dead for five years. Already. But but you know what? It still gets brought up, and it, it still gets it, it still gets just, pounded into the ground. It it's makes ridiculous. No sense. It makes no sense, and it's so unfair to Carmelo because you're really devaluing the type of player he is. He's not LeBron. He never will be LeBron, but I do think if the Celtics were to add him, he would definitely be uh, a huge piece for them. He makes them better, but he's not their final piece. But, but no, no, he, no player out there is the final exactly. piece, unless you're getting Kevin Durant to come to Boston. Exactly. No player is the final piece. So 
but where are the Celtics getting a better player right now than Carmelo Anthony? They're not. No, you're right. Nowhere. That's the problem. That's why it might be a move. 607-274-1842 is the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Listen in at TuneIn Radio, VICRadio.org, and check out the podcast over at iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Asman, at Dan Budic, and you can follow the show at Asman Budic Show. When we come back, still plenty more to do. we got to get into this situation involving Randy Levine and Dylan Batansis. We'll also give you an update on the NBA All-Star Game as we're in the final five minutes of that one. Oh, what yeah. do we do? Asman Budick <laughs> Show. We'll be right back. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show. Let's dive into the Yankees situation with Dylan Batantis and Randy Levine. If you haven't heard the comments that Randy Levine made, he essentially bashed Dylan Batantis' agent for requesting $5 million in arbitration. The Yankees wanted to pay him three. Dylan wanted five. They went to an arbitrator. The Yankees won. Dylan's getting paid $3 million. And Randy Levine took a shot at Dylan's agent, in which Dylan Batantis responded at a press conference yesterday, said he was hurt by the comments, didn't appreciate the comments by Randy Levine. And now it's a story because you have the team president of the Yankees publicly insulting one of the Yankees' best young players in Dylan Batanzas. And this is really an issue because of the fact that not only Randy Levine took a shot at the agents and how they handled the arbitration for Dylan Batanzas, but he took a shot at Batanzas too, really devaluing his player as far as a reliever and uh, because he's a setup man and not a closer, and then the whole thing he said about the astronaut, and well, that's like calling me saying I'm not the president of the Yankees, I'm an astronaut. I mean, the whole thing was ridiculous, and, and you know, it's just it's really just Randy Levine running his mouth, and for no reason, it's not going to do him any good because of the fact that now you're creating a little bit of the divide between a guy who you're really relying on at the back end of your bullpen to be successful and ownership. As far as Randy Levine is concerned, and obviously I don't think Randy Levine's opinion is representative of the entire Yankees organization, but he is the president of the team. So when he says something like this, he is representing the New York Yankees organization. So, you know, it's not a good situation because it's going to create a little sort of tense, a little sort of uh, divide in that locker room between Dellen and maybe some other players too in ownership and seeing, well, if this is how Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, is talking about one of our most valuable pitchers in the back end of the bullpen. What does he think of me? What does he think of me? You know, every player, what does he think of me? What's he saying about me behind my back? Not a good look for the Yankees, and it now gives Joe Girardi a tough job, and he's really got to nip this in the bud right now. You know, we have to put an end to it and make sure this is not something that materializes and becomes an issue as the spring rolls on. It's just it's a stupid situation. It is and very listen, stupid. The Yankees won. They got him to take And that should have been the dollars. end of it. They don't have to comment on it. Well, that's it's not they. It's one person. Well, you're right. Here. It's Randy, Randy Levine, Levine doesn't have to comment and on it. He he is just you know speaking out of place. He's not the general manager. He's not the owner, and he's not the manager. I don't need to hear Randy Levine speak on anything. Let him handle the business you're side right. of things. That's what he does. He should not be speaking. This comes after last year. We had Lon Trust, whatever he does with the Yankees, ripping fans, basically saying that if you can't afford this in the legend seats, you don't belong there. If you're poor, you don't belong in the legend seats is essentially what he said. I don't need to hear this type of stuff coming from a guy that works in the front office and the team president. You know, Don't insult the fans. Don't insult your hometown player who's from New York City 
who grew up a Yankee fan, who was in the building at Yankee Stadium during David Wells' perfect game in 1998. Just stupid. Dylan Batanz has been a three-time All-Star for this team since he's been called up. Three consecutive years he's been in the big leagues. Three straight years he's been in the All-Star game representing the New York Yankees. And the idea that Levine says he doesn't have the stats and he overreached, let's go get carried away here. I understand that Dylan apparently asking for $5 million is more than anyone has ever asked given his situation before. But let's not get crazy here. The Yankees paid him three. He was asking for five. You know, the difference would have been four. It doesn't work that way. Let's not go crazy saying that Dylan Batanches didn't have the stats or he was out of line. This guy's been one of the best pitchers in baseball the last three years. He's been nothing but class to this organization. And this idea that Randy Levine, who's not the GM, once again, not the owner and not the manager, has to make an asinine statement and rip his star player and his agent... It's ridiculous, and it's so unnecessary. And once and again, he, it's on Joe Girardi to handle this situation. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? Joe Girardi's got to nip this in the bud right now and make sure Patances is squared away, and there's no ill will. Because the last thing you need is to go into spring training as we start to get the spring unfolded back into February here into early March, and Dylan Patances is upset with Yankee ownership because of comments made by Randy Levine. And Randy Levine really, again, just, you know, an arbitration hearing, they win the arbitration. That's the end of it. We don't need comment on it. We don't need Randy Levine's commentary about what happened, what should have happened, the market, how much money, what $3 million. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is we players go to arbitration every year. The Mets went to arbitration with Wilmer Flores. Teams go to arbitration with players every year. The Yankees go to arbitration with players all the time. It happens. There's no need to make any sort of comment on the way it was handled by either side. And the fact that he went out and accused the agents of... Of Dylan Batances, that he they used him, they used him. I mean, what horrible language to use when you're talking about uh, the representatives of one of your players, one of your better players, a guy you're relying on to pitch some big innings at the back end of your bullpen. Come this, on, this quote Ridiculous. Was, was particularly telling, and I'll read it to you. This is from Randy Levine when he was asked about Dylan Batances and his agent. Dylan Batances is a great, great person. Dylan Batances is great. Yada yada yada. He says all this again, and then he goes. I feel bad for Dylan that he was used in this way by his agent because anyone knowing about the process, anyone, you should talk to anybody who would know that the history is very well established that $5 million goes to elite closers. Once again, if you're just joining us, Dylan Batances was asking for $5 million in arbitration. The Yankees offered $3 million. And then Levine goes on. What do we mean by closers? People who pitch the ninth inning and have a lot, a lot, a lot of saves. Dylan didn't have that record. He never did. He's a great setup man. Maybe one day he'll be a great closer. We hope so. Now hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. Dylan Batances, if he was on the open market, would easily get between ten to fifteen million dollars. Without a, year. a doubt. Easily. The reason why he's not a closer is because the Yankees have had Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman that have filled that role the past couple of years that Dylan's been in the big leagues. Now let's break it down for a moment here. Dylan Batances going into last year when the Yankees had Miller and Chapman, Dylan Batances was your sixth and seventh inning guy. You know how many teams Dylan Batances would be the closer on in baseball? It, going into last year when they had those three guys, the talk was wow, the Yankees might have the three best relievers in baseball all in the same bullpen. And you know what? For the first half of last year, they did. Chapman was great, but Tances was great. And Andrew Miller, we saw what he did with the Indians in the, in the postseason all the way to the World Series. He was great. I mean, this idea that because Dylan Batances didn't have the stats, as, as, as stats being saves, 
What you you overlook his ERA being it's ridiculous. You know, 1.50 it makes no sense. And he kind of strikeouts. I and mean, then, come on. And then we, what also I think you said was like uh, was what what I think was interesting also is what uh, what Randy Levine said was when he said, "Well, if you ask anyone who knows, well, w- let us ask anyone who knows. We don't need you commenting on it. You're not, you know, it, you're you're the president of the team. It, it kind of was like the, the the quotes were so ridiculous, and the fact that he would." You know, if it was a former player that the Yankees had under roster, under contract, and he was commenting on a former thing that took place, or he was commenting on a player that's no longer with the organization, I would say, you know what, a little distasteful comments, but okay, at least it's not a player still in your organization. This is a player that, you know, eventually you're still paying $3 million to, and again, he's a big part of this Yankee team and a big part of their bullpen. I don't understand why he would make such comments like this when you're really, and now you're, you're again, you're, you're vilifying a player on your team for no reason, and you're putting... Uh, the spotlight on in a negative way on a player on your team for no reason. I, I mean, I just Randy Levine, a, a PR one hundred and one. I mean, come on, man, what are you doing? Just don't speak. Just don't speak. There's no need to comment on an arbitration hearing. No one does that. You pay him whatever you pay him. It, it, it's really spoken. The winner loss is really spoken. Everyone knows. Well, Dellen was asking for five. He got three. He's probably worth three. That's all. We don't we don't need to know any details about how ridiculous he's being used by his agents. It's just so distasteful and really it's not a good look for other for for players that are coming to the Yankees, players that are on the Yankees that have to do dealings with contracts coming up in the next couple of years with Randy Levine and the Yankees front office because it just makes the Yankees front office look bad. It really does. Mike in Brooklyn. Mike, what's going on? I think you know, you make a really good point. You see Don Batantis, um he's a hard worker. And if he is a free agent, the guy's going to make 10 to $15 million a year. I think that's a great point. Um, you think about him, you think about how hard he works, you think about how hard he throws. Um, and honestly, $5 million, the Yankees, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. That's not a lot of money. It's, but I understand you're trying to get younger. I understand you're trying to save money. I completely get that. But why, why talk trash about a player who's been, who's been around the Yankees organization for a while, who's a, who's a homegrown talent? You know what I mean? There's no reason to trash someone that's on your team. I, I, I just think that's ridiculous. And you bring up another great point, that if you're on the Yankees or you're going to be a free agent at the end of this year, you know, you take that into consideration. You say to yourself, wow, you know, the Yankees have a president that, you know, isn't, isn't afraid to call out players or, you know, just about an arbitration case. I just don't I, I don't agree with Randy Levine at all on this. I think it's ridiculous what he said. Yeah, and, and the thing is about the 3 and $5 million is, it just goes down to the point where this is the way it is. This is the way arbitration works in the major leagues. He wanted $5 million. Uh, the, the Yankees were offered him three. He ended up getting $3 million. And that's the way it works. And 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 the, the as far as what he's worth and what he's truly worth, it's in it's in the eyes of the arbitrator. So he's worth three million dollars. That's what he got. That's the end of it. You're paying him three million dollars. There's no need for narration on Randy Levine's side giving his two cents about the way Dellen was used by his agents. And then the fact that Dellen Batantis, who still pitches for the Yankees, has to read about this and see this uh, in the media, it's just a bad look. And again, what are you trying to prove if you're Randy Levine that you're not being Cheap? No, what? It's not about being cheap. And 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 Mike, thanks for the call. You made a great point. It, listen, the Yankees are still a business. They're still going to be trying to save some money. 
But the issue is not money. You know, $5 million and $3 million, that's not the issue. You know what? The Yankees, even the Yankees are going to try and save a buck when they can. So they go to arbitration. They Which have an no offer. no big deal. Dylan has an offer. This is a very common thing in baseball. It's part of the collective bargaining agreement. It's over, though. Once the arbitrator makes a decision, it's over. You're done. You don't talk about it. I mean, you move on. And it's not like Brian Cashman saying these comments. This is the team president. You know, he has no impact on the day-to-day decisions involving the Yankees. He's not the manager. He's not the GM. And he's not the owner who signs the checks. He's the president. You know, Randy Levine does press conferences at the Pinstripe Bowl every year. I don't see Brian Cashman doing uh, press conferences at the Pinstripe Bowl. We don't need Randy Levine to be involved in this. And this idea that, you know, he's got to chime in on, on this out of all the things he could chime in on. I mean, why? I mean, there's nothing going on in sports media right now. It's February. It's spring training. All the media is gathering at Tampa as the Yankees open up camp. And the big storyline, instead of A-Rod being a guest instructor, is you know, we're talking about Dylan Batances being ripped by the team president because he wanted to try and get paid like every athlete does. Ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous, too. I mean, it's just there was no need for the comments by Randy Levine. It didn't make any sense. It was out of place. And again, looks bad for the Yankees going forward. 11-17 here on the Asman and Budic Show. Take a quick break. We'll be back. Talk a little David Wright, the New York Mets. They've opened up spring training also. A lot of positives going around the Mets this time around. We'll talk about it all. It's the Asman and Budic Show. We'll be right back here on VIC Radio. The Asman Budic Show is brought to you by Gus Busters Umbrellas and Wings Over Ithaca. Now let's get back to the show with Jake Asman and Dan Budic. Let's talk about the Mets, though, Dan. Obviously, they're down in Port St. Lucie, Florida, gearing up for another season. Terry Collins trying to be the first manager ever, and this is a crazy stat, to take a team to the playoffs three straight years, which is hard to believe. And I know the Mets haven't been around as long as some other teams. Oh, the Mets manager, yeah. But in their history, they've never been to the playoffs three years in a row. They've only crazy. been to the playoffs two years in a row, now twice, if you include last year. Right. So it's been a long time for the Mets to have... A lot of success, and now we're talking about unprecedented success if they make the postseason, and they should. They have a really good team. Depends on health and everything else. But let's talk about David Wright because he falls into that that category of guys that, you know, if healthy, great. If not, hey, what do you get from him? He's only played in 75 games the last two years. And how are the Mets going to keep David Wright healthy over the course of 162 games? And... Is David Wright even going to be ready by opening day to play? Uh, that's the big thing. He's just started throwing right now. You hope he's healthy come come opening day to be the Mets' third baseman. But really, they're in a really unique situation because of the fact that David Wright, even if he plays, he's not going to be able to play third base every day. He's probably only going to play three or four times a week. Reyes is probably also going to have to play some time at third. Yeah, I mean, it really depends. Wright's almost like an X-factor for the Mets. If he's healthy and he's a serious asset, he makes the Mets that much better. But, you know, the last couple of years he's been hurt, and if he gets hurt again this year, it's really the same old story. You know, where do the Mets find that balance where Wright produces, but also they give him the time off he needs to, to stay healthy? Because a lot of times, and we saw this really last year before he got hurt in the first 40 games, you know, David Wright wasn't playing enough to get into a rhythm, you know, because of the fact they were worried about him getting hurt. If David Wright's going to produce for the Mets, the Mets can't be worried about him getting hurt because he's going to have to get at bats. He's going to have to play. He can't play one or two days a week and, and the Mets hope, you know, they can get production out of him. He'll hit 220 again. He needs to play three or four times a week. He needs to be healthy enough to play that many times, be able to bat four times in a game. And if he's not, 
you know, then then it's a mute point. But if David Wright's going to produce for the Mets, he's going to have to be healthy. There's no situation, I think, where David Wright's a part-time player for the Mets and contributes. I think the only way David Wright contributes for the Mets this year is if he's an everyday player. Seems to be healthy, seems to be feeling good right now. But we also said a year ago that David Wright was feeling good going at, following the 2015 playoff run into the World Series. We were all feeling good about David Wright last year, too. He played in 34 games, a spinal stenosis, the back had to have surgery, uh, the neck, the everything combined with David Wright kept him out again last year. And it's just, when is David Wright going to be able to, to, to put a season together where he's healthy? And will he ever be able Will to he go? ever? And if he can't, you know, the Mets are getting to the point here where they can't keep banking on David Wright to be their third baseman. This is really the last year that the Mets can really bank on David Wright to be their third baseman. And he's going to get hurt again this year. I think it, it's it's, I un- mean, it's unfair if you think, if, if the I expectation is that he's going to play more than, what, 100 and... If you're lucky, if David Wright gives you 120 games, you'll be a stat. I, I don't think there's a shot he plays in 120 games. If he could play in 85 games, I'd be happy. He's playing 75 once again it, it, the last over the last two, two years. years. So if David Wright could... I think if he could play in 85 or 90 games, this year, I just and if he's going to play in more, he's got to show me. He's got to show everyone that he's healthy. As of right now, you know it's tough on February nineteenth to get a sense for where David Wright is. But I mean, listen, he just started throwing yesterday for the first time since his surgery. So that just shows you where he is right now. He's not anywhere near ready to to play in games. And also, the issue with David Wright. You know, if he's not going to be healthy, I mean, you have Jose Reyes there. Does Reyes take a spot at third base? Yeah, because I think, and this is the thing with Reyes. Where are you playing Jose Reyes? Where are you playing Reyes? And Reyes is the type of guy who might get time in center field. He might be the Mets' regular center fielder by midway through the season. You really think he could play center field? I mean, he said he's willing to learn how to play center field. My thing is. That's a tough position to just learn. It is. Outfield is a lot easier. It is, but he's fast. He's got speed, so I, I think he can. If he, if they get him reps in spring training, there, I think he could play center field. The only reason I'm, I say center field is it's only the only place on the diamond besides third base he can play. Where else is he playing? Second base, you have Neil Walker. I mean, shortstop, you have his Drupal Cabrera. They're going to be the everyday infielder. So you got to get right in the line. You got to get Reyes in the lineup somehow because we saw last year how explosive he is. And again, he continues to prove that when he's in the lineup, you know, he's dynamic. He steals bases. He's electric. He, you know, he gets everyone going. I get it. I see it. You know, I've seen it a long time with Jose Reyes. But if he's going to do that and it's not a third base because Wright's in there. It's got to be in center field. That's the only other position that I think Reyes can play where he is inserted in the lineup and can still be an asset. He's not going to play the corners because you're booked there. Center field's the only really other position. That's why it really comes down to how healthy is David Wright. Because if David Wright is healthy, he's the Mets' third baseman. And Wright, Reyes is going to be a part-time player. But if Reyes plays well enough in those times at third base where the Mets can't keep him out of the lineup and Granderson's not playing well, Ligaris isn't playing well, I see a situation where Reyes could play a lot of center field this year for the Mets. But they're going to have to get Reyes in the lineup somehow because I just think based on what we saw last year and the impact Jose Reyes has on the Mets, they're not going to be able to keep him out of the lineup because when he plays well, uh, the, the Mets win. I mean, it was like that in his first go-around with the Mets, and it was like that last year. He was a big reason why the Mets went back to the playoffs last year. It wasn't because of, uh, of, of necessarily the pitching. The pitching was good. They got good starts out of Lugo and Gazelman, but they scored some runs. They didn't score any runs at the beginning of the season before Rays got there. 
He's an important piece. He is. And he had a great year for them when he came and over. It's, and it's unfortunate he really just doesn't have a, a position set. That's why I think the health of Wright is so big, because I think it determines so many different out, out, outcomes with the Mets. It determines who's playing center field every day. It's going to determine, obviously, who's playing third base, and that changes their lineup. What around. are realistic? You see, the issue with Wright... There's all, no realistic expectation. We don't know. know. We have no idea. Yeah, it's a great unknown, because he, once again, he's played in 75 games the last two years. And that back is always going to be an issue. It yeah, takes and him three hours just to get ready to play a single baseball game. You're right, and the only the only silver lining for David Wright is we saw him come back in 2015 and play really well at the end of the season for the Mets and played really well into the playoffs. You know, he played well in the World Series as well. So that's the only silver lining is that we've seen David Wright play well before uh, in a spurts. It, it wasn't over the long period of time, but we've seen Wright play relatively recently uh, a decent decent baseball. Obviously, it wasn't last year because of his neck injury, but I, I don't know. I, it's going to be tough for David Wright. This is going to be a tricky situation I think Terry Collins really has to navigate here because, like we said, if David Wright isn't healthy, it's going to be Jose Reyes in at third base. If David Wright is healthy, the Mets now have to mix and match and what they decide to do with Jose Reyes. One thing is for sure is the Mets do have a lot of depth. And I think Sandy Alderson did a really good job. He knows the injury history the Mets have had. He's put a lot of depth on this team, which is why I think he's held on to Jay Bruce in the outfield. And they haven't made a trade necessarily with an outfielder yet. I think they want to keep that depth because I think they know, you know, knowing the Mets' luck, someone's going to tear a hamstring. Well, you know, the, someone's going to tear an ACL well, somewhere. That, the problem with the Mets is injuries. You know, on paper, no. that pitching rotation looks great. We already saw Zach Wheeler who's going to compete for the fifth, st- fifth starting position. Right. He went down with an injury. He's not going to throw for a couple more days. And who knows what his future is going forward. He hasn't pitched in two years. I mean, the Mets with Matt Harvey lost for the season last year, was having a terrible year before that. Jacob deGrom went down for the year. The, the only starting pitcher that was healthy for the Mets was Syndergaard. And does it concern you at all that you know he put on 15 more pounds of muscle? They were talking about this on some of the other talk shows in New York City I was listening to. Does it concern you at all as a Mets fan that this guy's trying to throw harder? You know, the human arm is, can only do so much. As great as he is, you don't want to throw your arm because he's trying to throw, instead of throwing 100 miles per hour, he's trying to throw 102, 103 every yeah, time. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little concerning. But I think, listen, I think he's got his head on straight. I think he says, you know, I want to throw harder, I want to do this, I want to do that. I, I think he knows how to pitch, and I think he learned last year really how to pitch too when he was dealing with that bone spur. I thought he did a really good job towards the end of the season dealing with that. I think the Mets, listen, they, they, they have to hope that these guys are healthy and ready to go, and, and I, they can't have worse injury luck than they did last season with the starting rotation. I think they kind of feel the same way. I mean, is everyone going to go down again? I mean, these guys want to get paid. They want to be big-time pitchers. They want to be marquee names, and I think they're on their way to doing that. But if Matt Harvey wants to be paid, if Jacob deGrom wants to be paid, you know, if Steven Matz eventually wants to be paid, you know, they got to pitch well, and it's time for Matt Harvey to, to, to pitch really well and show what he's worth. He's hitting free agency in a couple of years. He wants to be worth big top dollar, and I think he is worth it, but he's got to prove it. So he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay healthy. DeGrom has got to stay healthy. On paper, the Mets have a great rotation. I mean, th- but like can, I said. And these guys pitch 200 innings for the first time all together. Like, like I said. Steven Matt's another guy that's had his injury issues. They all got hurt last year. I mean, you, you, are they due to be healthy this can, year? Can they get hurt? Are they all going to get hurt again? I mean, odds tell you no, but who really knows? I think they all feel good, and you have to hope that they're going to be healthy going into spring On training. On paper, are the Mets the best team in their own division? 
Are they better than uh, oh, the Nationals? Yeah. Hands down. They're better than the Nationals on paper. But, you know, as my dad says, you know, what do you do with paper? You can wipe your butt with paper. It means nothing. Alan Buick does he say does that. He does say that. So, you know, paper doesn't mean much, unfortunately. And I, I think they're better than Washington on paper, but Washington's defending uh, National League East champions. They got to beat them. They got to be healthy and they got to play well. But. I think it's going to be a good season for the Mets. I think they got to stay healthy in the they got to stay healthy in the starting pitching. If their starting pitching stays healthy throughout the whole season, they're going to be really tough to beat. You know, they're going to be tough to beat. If not, you know, they're going to be an average team. And another guy, well, we preview the Mets here. Jay Bruce, you mentioned it. They did not trade him. They did not trade a outfielder, whether it would be Bruce Granderson. Obviously, they likely were not going to trade Conforto. They think he's going to be good going forward. Right. But there's four guys for three spots in that outfield. And you're right. Someone could pull a hamstring. Someone can get hurt any day. But until someone does get hurt, you got four guys for three spots. And there's no DH, obviously, in the National League. That situation will be interesting because when healthy, Jay Bruce is as good as anyone in baseball. When the Mets got him, he was leading the NL in RBIs. Had a terrible second half with the Mets. Could he bounce back and maybe give the Mets that middle-of-the-order bat alongside Yohannes Cespedes? Could be. Or does Jay Bruce play well enough in the spring and well enough early in the season where the Mets can flip him and get something else back? I don't know. It's it's tough for me to think that they're going to have all those guys, all four of those guys on the roster throughout the whole season. They might go into the season with four guys, but you have to think at some point— someone's going to be dealt. And the only reason I say it probably would be Jay Bruce is because of the fact Jay Bruce is a free agent at the end of the year, and Jay Bruce can't play center field. Michael Conforto has shown he could play a little center field, and he's a younger guy. He's got a lot of promise. The Mets are very high on him. He's one of their top prospects. What, what the heck is that? Well, that was my phone. Oh. An old Joe Namath video <laughs> went through my Twitter. But, but you know, so Conforto, there's more of a future with Michael Conforto. With Bruce, he's a free agent at the end of the year. It just makes sense that Jay Bruce is the guy the Mets trade. I think Jay Bruce will eventually be traded. I just don't know if it will be in May, June. Will it be at the deadline? I don't know. But it's tough for me to think that the Mets are going to go through 162 games with Jay Bruce on the roster. Too many I just guys. Have trouble it's too many guys, and Jay Bruce is a free agent at the end of the year. He's got to prove what he's worth. He's getting paid $13 million next year. He's not guaranteed a contract for, 20, uh, for 2018. He wants to prove heading into free agency that he's worth a four or five year deal. So if that's the case, Jay Bruce has got to play. If it's not with the Mets, the Mets are going to trade him somewhere where he's going to play and he's going to help a team win and be a left-handed bat in a lineup that's a force to be reckoned with. So I think a lot uh, obviously has to get 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 put into perspective, but there's also the other side of it. What if Michael Conforto doesn't play well? What if Michael Conforto's not ready to play in the major league yet and be an everyday outfielder? Then you're happy to have Jay Bruce because then you have Jay Bruce in left field and he's a major league bat. As good as a team as the Mets can be, there are so many question marks involving them. Health, Jay Bruce, right. four outfielders for three sure. spots. A lot still has to be determined and it's not going to be determined even coming out of spring training. It'll be determined in the first coming months of the season when, you, as you say, you decide what you want to do with those four guys. Does someone get hurt or do they move Jay Bruce because he's off to a good start. And it's not a necessarily to out. The not thing, a bad problem to have. The, yeah, the outfielder situation is not a bad problem for the Mets to have. It does provide them with a lot of depth and also provides them with a lot of options. They can they can really mix and match as far as the lineups are concerned early in the season and really cater to what what's better suited for that particular game because they have so much depth. I think in the long term, right field, outfield, I think Conforto's the guy only because he's a younger player and they they took him with the first their first round pick a couple of years ago. They have a lot of faith in Michael Conforto. I think we saw that last season. If Conforto plays well, though, I think it's his job. 
Thanks for listening to the Asmund and Budic Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asmund Budic Show. 